podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The shark bait has such teeth there, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe, and it keeps it out of sight. You know when that shark bites. So welcome everybody to this edition of Macklin's Take. I hope you are all well and enjoying the feast of fights that have been coming our way in autumn, full time as they would say in the States. It's that time of year when the boxing comes thick and fast. Uh, with you as always, myself Andy Clark, and I would say Matthew Macklin, but, but currently he's not here because we arranged to meet our guest under the stairs of the Intercontinental Hotel this morning at 10 o'clock sharp. Oh, you, you've thrown him under the bus, haven't you? I've thrown him under the bus. <laughs> I've thrown him under the bus. I had to come from home. I made it on time. You made it on time. You'll you recognise the voice of, of Johnny Nelson uh, in the background. He is today's invited guest, and the reason that, that Johnny is, is on today, not just because he's a very good friend of ours and esteemed colleague, but because... A subject I've been keen to get into for a while is self-belief and how important it is for fighters, how important it is for any athlete, for anyone at all really in any work of life, walk of life. If you're going to achieve what you want to achieve, you must believe in yourself. We did a chat with Jim McDonnell a few weeks ago, Johnny, and we were trying to identify the, the key minerals a fighter needed and I came up with a kind of holy trinity of, of talent, heart and self-belief and and I do believe that last one is the most important one and you're the perfect man to talk about this because you look at your career I had a rocky start it had some interesting phases but in the end you got to where you wanted to get to and without inner confidence real belief in yourself you wouldn't have got there some people believe that that kind of resolve is something you're either born with you either have it or you don't. I don't think that personally. I think that you can you can find it, and that's definitely what you did. You found it, then you grew it with the help of some other people. Possibly you protected it when others maybe didn't really believe in it, and ultimately it got you to where you needed to go. Matthew Macklin is gracious with his presence. <laughs> He's looking a little bit bleary eyed, and I have to say that's a quick turnaround because I called him about five minutes ago. I hit the snooze button and I obviously knocked it off. <laughs> I don't know how you managed to sleep so long. I know, it's been a while. I've been out a few restless nights a bit previous. It was due. Well, to answer that, Andy, um, it, it's, it's, it's strange because I think people listening to this will... will, will if, you, if I don't explain it right, they're going to miss the point. Uh, so no, nobody is naturally confident. Nobody naturally has that self-belief. Nobody naturally has it. Some people just find it faster than others. Some people like me are, are late developers. Um, <clears throat> and I had to find it uh, through um, experiences, good and bad. And so when bad things happen, when you're in bad situations... Um, most of us think, why is this happening to me? Why is this happened? I can't do this. And you start to doubt yourself, beat yourself up, you think, all sorts of things. When good things happen, you, 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 you think it's great, the best thing in the world. But what we forget to do is to learn from them, the good and bad. The only way you get wisdom is experiences good and bad. You've got to go through them. And that's how you learn from them. I had to hit rock bottom uh, for me to think I've got nowhere else to go. Apart from up, I can either stay down here or, or and I mean, when I say hit, hit rock, rock bottom, I mean confidence-wise, emotionally, uh, uh, publicly. Uh, there had to be nowhere for me to hide, nowhere for me to go. 
So the only choice was, right, you can either accept your position in life or you can, find, right, learn from it, learn from, right, I'm not going to do that again because this happened last time. Um, and then you'll step forward, you might trip again. I'll not do that again because this happened last time. And I've had to build up, like building blocks bit by bit. Uh, and then it gets to the stage where, where you are that, you've been in that many situations when the naysayers are there telling, me, telling you you can't do this, that, and the other, you actually think, you know what, I've actually been through every aspect of, of, of my sport. Because we're talking about boxing. Started my boxing, I had 13 amateur fights. I only won three. Started turn professional. I lost my first three on the trot. So, so I am not your, 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 your Anthony Joshua, Prince Nassim, Mohammed on your mark when they, they've got that springboard um, uh, professional career. But my point is, when you, when you do this, you, you, are point, you think the finger's pointed at you. you. When you've got everybody telling you you're no good, when you've got everybody telling you you want to pack it in, when you've got everybody telling you, you eventually start to believe it. And once you do that, you're on a rocky road to nowhere. You've got to be ignorant enough and hard-faced enough to think, you know what, you don't actually know me. And this is through Brendan. Brendan said, Johnny, if they don't know you personally, don't take it personal. Uh, and it's hard to do but you don't believe him and he had to say it over and over again he'd tell me stories of former fighters Archie Moore Jack Johnson uh, Ray Robinson and when he told me at the time I'm thinking why are you telling me these stories about these people and when he'd go through the stories when I've got my own turmoil uh, he'd say Johnny it's the same story different actors so what's happened to you has happened in the past and they had to find a way through it Archie Moore used to go to a show with a disguise in his, uh, in, his, um, uh, in his bag. So if he fought and didn't win, he'd put a hat on, put glasses on, put moustache on and walk out the back door so nobody recognised. You wouldn't think that of Archie Moore. Archie Moore of all the people in the world. So we've all got a story, but you, the public only see the end result. So, so really, the, uh, and I agree with this totally, I'm picking up from what you're saying, the, the confidence and the self-belief is only what followed pure raw perseverance and refusal to you know to give in to just keep going picking yourself up from one failure after another but refusing to lose that enthusiasm and desire because it's it's born out of perseverance really wasn't it Matt this is and the thing is this is something that's very hard to do on your own we all need a mentor we all need somebody that that can just guide us can just tweak us just point us in the right direction or just translate what is happening? I was fortunate enough to be around Brendan Ingle, and and so I was very fortunate. But a Brendan Ingle can come in many forms as a brother, as a sister, as a friend, a parent. Uh, it might be a complete stranger, and sometimes people try and give you advice or try and point in the right right, right direction, and their heart might be in the right place, but they actually they actually don't get it. So you've got to be smart with who that mentor is. So I know if I didn't have Brendan, there's no way in a million years I would be the person I am today. But I had the teacher at hand. Mike Tyson has customado, uh, and 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 that's what you've got to have somebody that that is just able to step outside the box and translate what's happening and give you that little bit of confidence. David Beckham wouldn't be David Beckham without Alex Sir Alex Ferguson. People forget that Princess so Hamid wouldn't so be Princess Hamid without without Brendan. So we all most of it needs that somebody to say, "Let me just steer you there." And I could go back in history and look at fighters in the past, and if you look at their backstory. Like Jack Johnson's backstory, you look at Archie Moore's backstory, you look at Randolph Turpin's backstory, Sugar Ray Robinson's backstory, you look at all their backstories, they all had that shaky moment. Some people just found their feet faster than others. That shaky moment is, it can go one of two ways, can't it? You can either, 
you can either hide for good or, as you say, you're forced out into the open uh, and you've got no choice but to, to, to front up, to, to shape up. But what was there a point? Do you remember any kind of a particular moment? Because you talked about rock bottom and people usually refer to that with, with reference to addiction and, and often people remember the moment. Was there a moment where you just thought, right, I need to decide now whether I really think I can do this or whether I can't? I can tell you that, spot on. 1990, Carlos de Leon, Sheffield City Hall. Uh, and up to that point, I was boxing. And I thought, in my head, when I up to, up to fighting for the world title, which I drew for, and in my head I lost. And how people talk, I lost. But I actually drew, at 22 years old, drew for the WBC title against one of the, the, the best fighters in the world previously to that. Up to that point, I, I'd won the British title uh, and, and I'd won and lost. And I always thought I was on a hustle. I always thought, they were, I, wasn't, I didn't think I was good. I just thought my opponents weren't good. This was my mindset. So, my, so when I kept winning, when I won a British title, when I, when I just went on and kept doing what I was doing, my mindset was that, not that, God, I'm a big, I'm big shot, I'm getting better. I just thought, God, he was crap. How did I get away with that one? And this was how I thought all the time. And so instead of building my own confidence up, I'd actually think the opposition wasn't that good. So when it came to boxing Carlos de Leon in Sheffield at the City Hall, um, I knew going there, it was my day's reckoning. Um, because I thought, I'm going to get exposed here. Carlos de Leon was from Puerto Rico. He, he'd like At one point, he was number one in the world for so many times. The only person he'd lost to was, I think it was uh, Evander Holyfield up to that point. Uh, instead of WBC title, I thought, oh my God, now you're in against somebody that's proper good. So I don't expect to win this, but in my head, I've got to front it out like I've, I've, I can do this. I was that scared of letting people down and letting myself down and failing and being exposed because I didn't believe I was, I didn't have the confidence to match my ability that um, I did exactly that. I grabbed a hold, I ran, we, we tipped, we tapped, we both did the same. And uh, it was a draw. It was, but it was a bore draw. It was boring. The crowd were booing. It was in my hometown. He went back. He went back home to Puerto Rico. I had to stay there. And so then that reaction of people in my hometown, friends that I fought with, friends, sponsors, and businessmen that were all over me up to that point, turned in a space of one night. One night. It wasn't like a gradual like drift away. We're not just pick the phone up. One night. When I saw people, they blatantly say, you are rubbish, what are you phoning me for? This was one sponsor, I was, I was buying my mum's house. And uh, it was a former council house, and I thought, I always wanted to buy my mum's house, you know, just so she didn't have to worry. And, uh, and before the fight, I'd line it up, I got someone to do all the double glazing and everything. This fella said, I'll give it for free. I'm having a party at my house, I'm give, I'll give it for free. I'll get you this, I'll get you that, I'll do all this stuff. The fight went the way it went, I got a draw. And uh, I tried to like get on with it the, in, in the week after. It was like get on with it in my life. I phoned him up. I said, "Are hey, you?" I said, uh, "Just wondering when you're going to send these people around to do the measuring." He went, "You what?" He said, "I had a house full of people watching you. It was embarrassing." He said, "Johnny, I'm not even going to sell it you." And like, I just thought these people speak to you in such a respectful way when you think you're something, and when they think you're nothing, they talk to you like shit. And it was like I had blatant situations like that where you saw the good and bad of people. And so if, not, if that's not going to dampen your spirit, your, your faith in human nature, it's that... 
Yeah, exactly. And so now I'm angry. But, but I'm angry, but everybody all of a sudden thinks, I'm, I'm a coward, I'm rubbish, I'm no good. But I'm angry. And I told Brendan, Brendan said, you can't fight everybody, Johnny. Be patient, it'll take time. You've not got the confidence to match your ability, but your time will come. Be patient. It was seven years of patience. And it was, it was six, seven years on the road, being in bedsits in Germany and Frankfurt Old and pe- treated like a second-class citizen by people you're sparring with, treated like a bum. And I had to learn from rock bottom again. And so I know now, when I do my job, I know that nobody has experienced my, my path. Nobody's been where I've been. I've not done the likes of what you've done, Matt, like representing our country uh, as an amateur and gone through and had that accolade. And people think, this kid's good. I've never had that. But I know I've, I've won, I've lost, I've drawn, I've been ridiculed, I've been a cho- loser, I've been a champion. So I know all aspects of the game. And so now, when people say something negative to me, I think it actually bounces straight off me. It makes no difference. But it, I had to go through experiences like that to be who I am today. And it's not just about boxing. If you're in a career, if you're in another sport, if you're a, 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 a student, this applies to all of those. It's how our perception, perception of how we conceive uh, a negative input, input from people. Hey, everybody, sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital podcast coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go. This is so crazy. So how does that chime with you, Matt? Because you had a, a different kind of route into professional boxing. As Johnny described there, you were, your signature was much sought after. And, and people will probably look at you and think, oh, Macklin, he must have been one of those kids where, you know, Day number one in the school playground, he was he was the king, he was the man, and and you know he's he's been bulletproof all his life. Is is that is that the truth? I guess it's probably not. Uh, so so it's quite not yes and no. I mean, when I turned professional, I I had a lot of hype as an amateur. I was ABA champion at eighteen. I'd been you know to the world junior championships, been badly rubbed there. I'd beaten some really good kids. I'd um, boxed and beaten God rest his soul Darren Sutherland twice he was a, ended up being a really good amateur when he moved back to Ireland uh, you know and I'd beaten a lot of good kids sort of from say 16 onwards and, and even earlier than that but I never won a schoolboy title after 18 fights I'd won 12 last 6 so I wasn't like you know one of these young traveller kids like elite schoolboys who was undefeated after 25 fights so you know I remember I remember winning my first 4 fights losing my 5th fight you know, after I was 4-0 and and I thought I was like the business, you know what I mean? And I lost the close, my fifth fight. And when I say I broke my heart, I remember sobbing into my dad's arms because I was just, my world was falling apart. That's how much it meant to me, you know what I mean? I couldn't believe it, but, you know, and then I won one last one, won one. And, I, and it took me, I think it was about, I think I probably lost about five or six before I stopped crying after fights, you know what I mean? I used to break my heart and it was like... You know, and like I say, I was like, yeah, like I think after 18 fights, I'd won 12, lost six. But then, then I kind of didn't lose. I probably only lost another six then for the rest of my um, my amateur thing. But in, in the pros, and and even as a professional, 
Johnny will probably remember I, I turned pro I was you know a lot of hype and uh, you know after my, in my 10th pro fight I thought I'd only been six rounds twice for a, a stable mate of Johnny of Johnny's at the time a guy called Andrew Facey who I remember looking at the video and I thought oh, he, he, he's rubbish I'll go through him you can't, you can't beat someone like that he'd called me out actually in the boxing news and I thought God, if I can't beat someone like him I'm obviously not as good as I think I am and he was awkward and it was a scrappy horrible fight and I'd, I'd only been six rounds twice and you know he got me we went into the 10th I was knackered I thought dug deeper and come out and win the 10th and I thought we'll do enough to win the fight but I didn't get the decision and uh, again felt like I, I remember actually being at a press conference for Ben Tacky and Ricky Hatton like a few weeks a few weeks after I'd had a meeting obviously with Frank Warren and we decided I was going to move train with Billy Graham because I'd already I'd already tra- trained gone up and had one fight with Peter Harrison didn't really like it up there came back had a fight with uh, Paddy Lynch again in Birmingham that was the facey one that obviously didn't go well and it was kind of a, a situation like look we need to do something here about about your training uh, regime and I suggested Billy Graham Frank wasn't that keen on it because he didn't really get on great with Billy but anyway he, he, he conceded he, he knew that that's where I wanted to go so I, I went up there and I remember, I was only up there a couple of weeks, and I remember going to the press conference for um, Ben Tacky against Ricky Hatton. It was at the, a place called Lucid in the Printworks, a nightclub it was, so that's where the press conference was. And I remember, vividly remember it, uh, there were guys, and I won't say who they are, because we, we all know some of them, um, within the, the journalist media outfit in, in Britain, in the boxing scene. And these were guys that would have been like, hanging on my every word, only three or four months ago, literally knocking me out the way to get over to Martin Conception, who was 2-0 and and had the two knockouts. He was obviously the new kid on the block. And I remember just thinking, oh, wow, the, the, the fickleness. I thought, God, I'm, I'm, I'm mustard. I, you know, I'm the business six, three weeks ago. I'm dog shit now. You know, I'm not even worth a hello. You know, I was pushed aside that quick. And I remember thinking, and I, and I remember... Uh, um, there's the uh, snooze that <laughs> so um, and I just I remember it knocking me back you know and then I uh, and then I went again, I went on again I think for a couple of years built up some really good momentum and a couple of took a, back myself I remember uh, like I'm going to come down to do a deal with Frank Warren which was the end of it it's maybe a year later uh, you know he offered me a, a decent deal because Frank was a good player at the time better than anyone else certainly but it, it wasn't this, I didn't get the same enthusiasm in the meeting there was no real massive plan behind it and I just because I could see I'd fa- fallen down the pecking order and I thought I'm better than that you know I, I just I just need to prove it and uh, and I'd been doing the business in the gym you know Billy Graham believed in me he knew he, he, he knew how good I was you know so I was like nah I need some momentum so I looked at the back of the boxing news and uh, Brian Peters was coming to, was putting another show on with Bernard Dunn in Dublin and I knew I didn't really know Brian, but I knew he trained Bernard. And I knew Bernard from being out in the wild card uh, at Freddie Roach's. So I, I got uh, Brian's number of a, a guy called Joe Egan, who I knew well. So Joe got me Brian's number, and I called him up and I said, "Look, uh, said, look, my, basically my contract's run out with uh, Frank Warren. Um, I'm not sure what to do. I, I need a fight." I said, "I'll, I'll, I'll fight. Can I fight on the card? I'll fight for free." And he said, "Well, no, look, you won't, you won't be fighting for free." I said, "No, but I'm." I'm well, whatever. I said, I'm not bothered about the money. I just, I just want to fight on the card. You know, no strings attached. Just one fight deal. And he said, all right, well, so we're going to do an eight-rounder uh, at like middle, like 11, 11 stone two or something. And um, about, two, two, about two, and a half, two and a half, three weeks out, he, uh, the, 
he pulls out. Um, he pulled the guy. That, no, Jim Watt. Jim Rock was the chief support. Jim Rock got injured and couldn't fight a guy called Roddy Doran. Roddy Duran, Roddy Doran for the uh, Irish middleweight title. So he said to me, "Do you want to do you want to fight for that?" Uh, Jim Rock's pulled out. So I was like, oh, "I've never seen your man. Send us a video." So I got a video of him, and he was a southpaw. And I thought middleweight southpaw. You know, I, I think I had about I was about twelve and one at the time. I thought, "Nah, I'll beat him." I've been in the gym. You know, I haven't fought for a year, but I've been in the gym. So. Uh, I was like, okay. So anyway, two days later, he pulls out, and he said, "Oh, um, Michael Michael Monaghan," and, and at the time, Michael Monaghan was one of those guys who was sixteen and sixteen, but he'd had he'd had a real close fight with Gary Lucky. You know, it, it, it stood up for a couple of rounds with Carl Frutchin. I think Brian was like a bit evasive on the phone, phoning back, and actually didn't think I was going to take the fight. He thought because you know he'd he'd, he'd had a, a nip and took one with Jim Jim White. And I think he thought he was going to that was probably going to turn the fight down, but I took it. And he paid me a bit more money, and uh, I performed really well. Knocked him out in the fifth round, and Brian literally rang me. I reckon every single day for about nine months after that. But I didn't want to sign with anyone at this point. I wanted some momentum, so I um, I took two fights in America for pennies. Like when I when I turned pro, um, you know, I was getting, and this is back in like 2001. I was getting like 10 grand for a four rounder. Do you know what I mean? I was getting good dough. And I ended up fighting in America. I took a, a no-strings-attached fight in Philadelphia, in Atlantic City for $2,000. And it was about $2 to a pound at the time. So it was about for a grand, really. Like, I, I blew that in the week after, you know, going out party, <laughs> celebrating, you know what I mean? <laughs> so but it wasn't about the money. It was about getting a, getting a win, getting some momentum. So I went over there, fought a kid, I think seven and two. Got a good win. Uh, built a bit of a buzz around in, in Atlantic City. Then I went and fought another kid, same type of record. So guys, I should be beating, but not bad. And this was only a few... Uh, six weeks later or so won that came back and at the time Hatton had left Frank Warren and uh, he, was, he was fighting he was going to do a one fight deal with Dennis Hobson to fight Carlos uh, Mauser so I get back from uh, I get back from Philadelphia I've just been up in Boston for the week 10 days and I've been on the piss up there because I didn't think I was on the Mauser card anymore and uh, when I got back I went up to the gym so I've, I've, I've got two it's like two and a half weeks to the uh the, the Mauser fight, but I've just gone to the gym just as a bit of a shake out and a sweat session to see what's happening. And you know, uh, Billy goes to me, You might be fighting now, you could, you could be back on. Sky want you on the card. So I remember walking in and seeing Ed, Ed Robinson, and Ed, Ed was uh, in a different role at Sky then than he is now, but he, he was up in the gym doing interviews. And he goes to me, Oh, can we do an interview? Uh, blah blah blah. And I was like, Well, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm on the card yet. You know, that's, I might not, he goes, no, no, you, you better be on it or they'll, they'll be in trouble because the cards, doing the cards, terrible. So I'm like, okay. So anyway, I train, come back that night. So I'm like, who am I fighting? And there, uh, Billy said, look, they're wanting to fight this guy called um, Alexei Chirkov. He's, uh, you know, I've knocked him back because he's, you know, he's 17 and won 12 knockouts, but they're insisting on him. They're saying that, uh, you know, it's got to be him. He's got a good ranking that Sky are insisting on this fight. Now, I, I know this story since then. This was not the case. I was this guy was being brought over to beat me. He, him and Puxon and Richard Puxon and Fondo were good mates, and they wanted this guy. They were probably getting a nice little. They're probably skimping off the top, making a nice little learner on it. And also, he was supposed to beat me, and Fondo was getting a win for his man who had had that loss against Coran Gavor, who was another good fight. But these were unknown names, really, on the European scene. But I didn't know this, and I was just a bit green. But I'd been in the gym for a year. I'd had three quick fights back to back. I felt sharp. I, you know, I, I thought, I, I'm ready, do you know what I mean? So we took the fight, and uh, 
I remember, I remember when you're walking in the tunnel through to the ring, and he had like a Russia T-shirt on, like a, obviously from the national team. He'd boxed Hamilton. Oh, this is sorry. One bit I forgot. We're at the press conference the day before the weigh-in in Sheffield, and uh, all the undercard are on this table. And Gearhard Ayatovich goes to me. In, you know, he's, like, he's a Serbian with a Scouse accent. He's going to sound like you're boxing Chirikov, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know him? He goes, yeah, yeah, box him in the amateurs. I was like, oh, yeah, he's good. Yeah, yeah, you know, world silver medalist, European gold medalist. And, and I'm thinking, what? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So now I'm starting to think I'm getting tucked up here. Yeah. But I thought, you know what? I don't care. I've seen the video of him. And I thought, nah, he, he's good, but I can beat him. I'm, this is what I need, actually. I'm ready for this type of a fight. And... Uh, I was nervous warming up, but, but in a good nerves, you know, like switched on. And uh, anyway, I knocked him out in the first round. I come out of the trap sharp because I had f- enough. F- fear is a good thing. Fear is a friend. Johnny talking about it there. And this is why I believe great coaches are as much psychologists mm. and mentors as they are. It's not about doing 10 press-ups or going on a run in the morning or strength and conditioning. That, 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 that's a part of your training. The biggest part of your training is this, your mind. And Brendan Ingle was a master at that, and that's why he was such a mentor mm. to Johnny. That's why Johnny, he was way more than a boxing coach. And, you know, it's, 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 it's using that fear as a, as a good thing to get you up for it, to make you sharp. And that's, that fight, even though I was nervous... Uh, especially on the last day, I, I, I believed in myself, and I, it, it, the fear was a good thing because it made me sharp. And I come out, and knocked the man around. Did you know that the, the next boxing news the following week? Headline, front page. It, I was mentioned on the front. Obviously, Hatton was the front page of this but I was mentioned on it. And inside, I was the front page of the first like, editorial, <laughs> and it said, "Is that Matthew Macklin?" That was the headline, and it went on about me, and it talked about the few fights I had. But I ended up meeting Frank Warren then in January. And the offer he'd offered me eight months before, nine months before, was more, he'd offered this stuff and that was more than three times that and proper plan, you'll fight this date, you'll have this many, this is what we're going to do. And I've just thought, you know, I backed myself, I took, I took the nothing money, I took the, the, the no contract, the one-off deals, the small money to get a bit of momentum in my career, got the three fights back together, got my confidence up, then took the risk isn't fight. It, isn't it funny that, those same people, even though say Frank offered you an amazing deal, and you'd think you'd be very grateful, but it actually makes you despise because you think, you know what, you tried to get me for 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 for, for three times less than what you're offering me now. So you're trying to have me over at a time when I thought we were tight. Yeah. And, and I'm not just referring to it, and what I'm no. saying is how people Everyone, are. Everyone, human nature is. is so fickle uh, in in our game. Brendan always said boxing. At its best is the sweetest game, sweetest sport in the world. At its worst, it's a dirty, rotten, prostituting game. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tester of your heart, your gut, your soul, your mind, and and confidence-wise is everything. And he said, if you are mentally strong, that beats physically strong. Every day of the week, every can, day of the week, every day of the week, if you mentally think you can do anything. Every day of the week, you will always beat a man that is, is, is fitter than you, that is stronger than you, that is faster than you. Do you know what made me... Um, I mean, that wasn't as... Uh, when Johnny said the next day, though, everyone, I mean, mine wasn't as dramatic as that. You know, when I lost to face and I lost to other people, they were like, yeah, look, don't... I remember Frank calling me down and saying, listen, son, I thought you won the fight, you know. Um, you know, and he was moaning about the ref, Richie Davies. He said, I thought you won the fight. Don't worry. I still believe in you. I'm still behind you. And... and, and and he did, really, he did really for the few fights after. And I think, you know, 
because it's not fair to paint that picture of him because I think also Billy Graham was a bit of a, uh, a problem in, in Frank's plans. You know, he was turning down fights. He, he was, the, Fra- you know, Frank said white, Billy had said black and, you know, he had clout because of Ricky Hatton and they weren't getting on. And it I wasn't really about you, it was about, about yeah, those. Yeah, it was about, about me as well. Yeah. I was suffering yeah. because of that, I think. Um, so it weren't, it, I don't think it's too fair to say that, that on Frank. Frank did still say he very much believed me. He, he thought I won the fight against Facey, you know, so he was like, look, We'll come back from this, but, uh, but what John is saying there about about the, the, the self belief and the confidence and everything, and I, I believe every single fighter's, you know, it, that's not self confidence isn't just a a one off thing. That that fluctuates, that can go up and that can go down. Like mm. you say, that can hit rock bottom where you start to doubt yourself. You start to believe what people are saying about you. Maybe I'm not as good. Maybe I'm my job. Maybe I was just a good amateur. You know, these things are starting to go in. Or maybe then you start thinking, maybe it's just not meant to be for me. I remember, I, I remember. I mean. Losing to Jamie Moore, you know, I remember reading the boxing news after and everyone was saying, wow, what a great fight. But then there was also people saying, you know, a week or so after, you know, he'll, uh, great fight and that, but you wonder now, Macklin, if, he, if he'll ever box again. And if he does, there's no way he'll ever be the same. Yeah. yeah. All my good days and achievements came after that. You know, that was probably the making of me, not the breaking of me. And it's, uh, but, you know, I didn't fight for a year after the Moore fight. I got ill, I pulled out of a fight, I got injured another one. And I remember thinking, God, maybe this just isn't, you know, going... Going back to the days when I was like banging everyone out, I had seven fights in 10 months and I was getting all the hype and Sky were doing a feature on me saying the next big thing. There was a big two-page write-up in the boxing news saying, uh, Macklin is the British De La Hoya. You know, I, I mean, so all of a sudden now I'm, I've lost, I'm, I'm 24, I've lost two. One of them was ended up in an ambulance spending a night in hospital and everyone's saying oh, he'll never box again. Maybe he doesn't ever be the same. You know, it, it takes a lot of soul yeah. searching. You, know, you talk about confidence and self-belief. And, you know, I did have Billy Graham there for a bit, but I don't, Billy, Billy Graham wasn't as solid a guy as a Brendan Ingle. You know, he was up and down as well. And, mm-hmm. he, you, know, he was, he, you know, he believed in you and you were going great. And then you didn't, I, I seen that even him lose a bit of the belief. But Brendan, I think Brendan had been through, the, been through a few cycles of fighters. Yeah. And he had to, he had to, he had to learn from... from the mistakes and the history of the fights he's had in the past and so so that's what I'm saying it's as an individual it's hard enough and it is but if you've got somebody a mentor in some form shape or, or, or another that does help you so much Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. So having been through the, the, the journeys that you both outlined there, it must be interesting for you both to, to observe young fighters when they come through now and, and particularly maybe during a fight week where we see someone we haven't seen before. Yeah. Um, Regis Progre is a good example. It's, it's fight week for, for Progre Taylor, by the way. And Regis is, has come in from overseas and he seems full of confidence and I don't see any particular reason to question that. Just an example, but there'll be plenty of others. So someone you haven't seen that much before. Uh, they might be, they might seem from the outside bursting with confidence. You, you've seen their interviews, you've seen the way they, they behave, you've seen the way they fight, but sometimes do you then look at them up close and think, I'm not talking about Progray, that was just an example, but do you sometimes look at them up close and reckon you can kind of see through it all and see, whether they really believe so, it or so, not? So the reason why I think we're, we have the job we have is because 
we've had we've gone through experience where we are not swayed by contrary to popular belief we're not swayed by what most people say or what is said we say what we see and so the the problem is if 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 i say somebody's a brilliant fire this guy's unbelievable he's the best in the world and you say it someone else says and someone else says it eventually it's fact well it's actually not fact it's 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 a false sale so so sometimes we'll sometimes i'll qualify or i'll out of fact so actually this guy's not as good as what the majority of you are saying so the majority say no it's fact this guy's the best in the world so so it's very hard to to stick to what you believe in i'll not always get it right but it's very hard to stick to what you believe in and that's why um when you look at a fighter a fighter can always sense bullshit from another fighter a a fighter can always uh, sense a hustle from another fighter um You'd never have believed Mike Tyson would have lost to Buster Douglas. Ne- and so when these things happen up to that point, Mike Tyson's the baddest man on the planet. And then all of a sudden people think, well, who started the rumour? Who started saying that? So we always look on fact. Look, don't believe, you don't believe what's written about somebody. Look at that somebody. I can remember coming through, you talking about being on the front of Boxing News or something like that. That was our goal, to get our picture on the front of Boxing News. But then Brendan always said to us, don't believe anything they write about you good or bad because when you write good things about you they don't know you they might think you're better than what you actually are when you write bad things about you they don't know you and you might start believing well actually maybe and I'm, I'm not bad so you've got to think like an individual not be swayed by public opinion or what the public thinks so when you look at your progress when you look at your, your Lomachenko's when you look at your your Usyk's or your, your, your Anthony Joshua's you've got to have your steadfast opinion based on fact what you see not what the hype is around this individual You've got to base it on fact what you actually see. And sometimes it goes against the, 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 the mainstream opinion. But if you stick to that, stick to your guns, nine times out of ten, you'll be right. You mentioned Tyson, Buster Douglas there. And, and I guess when something like that happens, does that, does that help other fighters? Because they look at Buster Douglas and they'll just think, well, he did that. He did that. He did the seemingly impossible because Buster Douglas was written off for for a large section of his career as a bottle job. He was paid the least out of all Mike Tyson's opponents up to that point. So he was the least paid. I think he got eight hundred thousand dollars. So no one believed in him. Nobody, nobody believed in him. And but he was he was at a time in his life where he thought, you know what, I'm actually not bothered what you lot say. My mum's passed away. That's a reality check. You know, he's emotionally is a is a ground zero. So he's thinking. I don't care what you got to say. This is what I know I can do. You know, and, and it's very hard to persuade someone to think, very easy to persuade somebody to think a certain way if you're all at him, telling them the same thing. So, so, so Buster Douglas hit ground zero. So he, he was at that point, at that right time in his life, where he had full, co- it's about mentally, mentality. And so he was at full confidence where he thought, I can do this. Whereas a Buster Douglas the year before, and the Dus- Buster Douglas the year after, who was and ended up being the highest paid sportsman that year after beating my, uh, Mike Tyson in his next fight against Evander Holyfield. He was the highest paid sportsman that year. And look what happened against uh, Evander Holyfield. And that's how strong, strong the mind is uh, because all of a sudden he'd, he'd got the trappings of wealth. He'd, his lifestyle had changed. His, his, his drive, his ambition, his mentality had changed. So his hunger had gone. And that's what our sport, you need it to succeed in our sport. And that just brings me on to, 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 to something else I was, I was going to, to get into, which is confidence is it's a difficult thing maybe when you're having success to keep at the right level. John Pegg talked about this when we spoke to John and he made a really interesting point, I thought, which was that 
you've got to be confident enough that you absolutely believe you're going to win. But if you go only just a little bit too far over that line, then you might be too confident. And then you become complacent. And that can be absolutely fatal. So how do you how do you judge that? It's getting this right. It's getting this right. It's managing the fear because we all need fear. I talked about fear being a friend, being a good thing. It's, it's managing the fear. It's not letting the fear overrun you and, and consume you. It's using it to make you sharp. And, you know, Customato, we see, we're all seeing footage of Tyson crying in the amateurs and him being consulting. You know, you, you can do this. You know, he was scared. He wasn't crying because he was scared of pain. He was scared of, of losing, you know, hurt pride. He was scared of losing, scared of fear of failure. And but Customato weren't doing... 10 rounds on the pads with Mike Tyson and he wasn't doing but, but he was coaching this he was teaching him about life he was teaching him about his fear you know he told him the story of the coward and the hero he said listen don't think you're the only person feeling this fear everyone feels that he said the coward and the hero are the same it's, just, well, it's what the coward doesn't do and what the hero does do that makes the hero the hero and the coward the coward so don't don't feel bad for feeling what you're feeling it's that, that makes you human but now now no, you can't control your first thought, but, you, but now you can control your second and your third, and it's how you behave and how you react to this. And I, I mean, me and Johnny talk off court all, all the time. I've come about different coaches and things, and it's like, you know, some of these guys coming in now and they're doing this stuff on social media. And, and I'm not saying that there isn't a place for pad work. I'm not saying there isn't a place for strength and conditioning. But I'm talking about the real old teachers of boxing. They're like, they're re- really, they were as much psychologists and, 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 and psychotherapists as, as they were, you know, boxing coaches or physical ath- athletic coaches. It was all because it was all about teaching the, the, the boxers, the pupils, to, you know, about about fear and about things and confidence. Like you say, confidence. Talking a lot about confidence. It's because because it, confidence isn't a permanent thing. That it can be your confidence can be high, your confidence can be low, and as you said, rightly so. You got to be careful not. To get overconfident and, and, and let the ego grow and the arrogance and then the complacency and then you start believing your own hype, and that's a, that's that's you definitely don't want to be there either. So it's uh, it, it, as much as we train every day in the gym, our road work and our sparring, we should and a good coach will make will a good coach won't even be consciously doing it. He'll just know his his fighter and he'll know if he's. He'll know the way he's coming a bit late to the gym or he stayed out or he'll have heard around the town if he's acting up and he'll know his man uh, if, he's, if his confidence is getting a bit too above himself you and he'll, he'll smile, bring him back down. Matt, because you, you, you're talking of scenarios that have happened in the gym. I'm thinking, were you actually there? Because you've, seen, you've, you've mentioned one or two things and scenarios that actually happened. So let's talk, uh, let's mention them. probably the most confident fighters we probably know, which is Prince Nassim Hamid. Now this guy... As a young, we had the best times ever in the gym, and uh, in the gym, that's where that's when the magic happens. And uh, uh, in the gym, where our ring was, you'd, you'd, the ring was elevated, so you'd get in. If you put your hands up, you could, sh- could touch the roof. But if you you go in the gym, they've painted over it now. There was always big black marks on the roof over the gym, over the ring, and that's because we don't all flip over the ropes like Naz did. Five out of five times, you land on your ass. Five out of five times, you land on your feet. So we all did it, but nobody wanted to do it. Had the bottle to do it in public, and that, and so it was like a a, 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 a lads group. We we, we put a bet on. Nat said he was going to do it in the fire. So we all put a bet on. We all sat this thing. He's going to fall. He's going to fall. He's a bet on. So once he'd done it once, 
he had to do it again and again. So it was, a, it, was a, it was like a private joke. We all did it in the gym, but nobody had the ball and the confidence to, to actually do it publicly in case we fell. And, and, and Naz's, Naz's confidence was, was perfectly matched. Uh, and Brennan had, 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 had groomed him well to believe in greatness. When he was uh, 14, Brennan said to his parents, he will earn £40 million. And they all thought he was mad. They thought he was crazy. But they were happy to have Naz in the gym just to keep him off the street. Naz actually made twice that. Uh, uh, because Brendan's talking about if, if one, everybody, every person in the world, if, uh, um, if one person, if 40 million pe- every person paid one pound, 40 million people watched him, and Naz got, got one of those pounds, he learned 40 million. And he, he was talking pay-per-view. It was years ahead of his time. The problem was with Nasdaq, he got to the point where his confidence was, was head and shoulders above everybody else. He saw up and beyond, above the clouds. So he saw things we didn't see uh, in what he was doing. So that's why he had that self-belief. Nas started to change, sort of an, an individual, and Brendan said, the problem is, if he was chocolate, he'd eat himself. Uh, basically, he's, he's starting to believe everything that's said about him. He's starting to believe, to believe he's actually a prince. He's starting to believe the good things that are said about him in public. And that's where the problem was. So when Naz got to a point where he thought he'd done it all himself and he was there, he was, um, this is a gift, I was, I was born to do this. Then Naz neglected the, the input, the, the guidance, the, the information Brendan had given him to be who he was and thought he could do it himself. And once Naz had left, if he's, on, if he's honest with you, he'll say it was probably the worst thing he did because he, then he realised the import of having somebody to keep your feet on the ground, but give you that confidence to say, this is what you're capable of doing. Just because it's not being done doesn't mean it can't be done. And uh, and I, I said to Brendan, what happened with Naz? And when, obviously, when he lost, uh, he said the problem with Naz was he believed in his own publicity. And that's a fatal mistake. Because once he lost, and it was that criticism there against Barrera, and once he lost that criticism there, he believed it really hurt him as much as it would lift him. If you said Prince Azim Hamid, the greatest fight ever that, that ever walked the earth, that was his problem. He started to believe in the hype. I said, did money change him? He said, no, money didn't change him. Money just magnified who he was. <laughs> and very smart, very wise words. And, and the mind is, is such an important uh, asset to warfare. In the ring, in the street, on the battlefield. The mind is the most important the thing. The most important. The most important. It's like, hype isn't real. Hype isn't real. Yet, yeah, hype is the best thing you've got going for you. Let's say as a promoter, hype, that's what you're trying to create, the hype, because it's the hype that sells the event. You know, when you're coming through, you can't, you're, you're falling out with your mates trying to sell tickets to go to a fight at a leisure centre. No one, they don't care. You can't, sometimes you can't even give them away. Then you get a fight. They don't know the two people boxing down in London, George Groves, Carl Frutch, and people that don't, never rang you or ringing you up, nausing you, trying to, oh, you know that fella, you could get a couple of tickets. Do you know what I mean? They're happy to drive down, cause they, and they're going to be in the nosebleeds, they're going to be anywhere near, but they want to be at this event because it's a hot ticket and everyone's talking about it because the hype is so high. You know what I mean? It's like a fighter, Tyson, Naz. These guys, especially the undefeated ones, when they're coming through and they're knocking people out, the hype, people's hype and their magic, because there's no limit to the imagination to where how good this person might be but once you've been beaten that's why promoters love the O oh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a ceiling there now and not, that doesn't say you can't get it back and then people will look back in time and go oh well it was a blip because he's firing again now look at the, his last little run but hype, hype is, the, is, is a strong thing but it's also not it's not real and, and, and either is fear 
fear, false evidence appearing real. It's that's not real either, and it's it's having, you know, you're a kid coming through. You don't know these things. These are the trappings of life that will always history repeats itself, and we will always make these mistakes. We, we haven't suddenly evolved and become a different species. We're still human. So, or everything that's happened that's happening to us now has happened to someone before in life. And when you get someone like Brendan Ingle, who's years beyond himself, years above his own lifetime, wisdom-wise. That, that, that's priceless to a young fighter coming through. So the difference really between yourself and, and, and Nassim was that he'd only ever had good things said about him, he'd only ever had positive experiences and so he started to think that he knew best whereas because you'd had happened to you what had happened to you early in your career you knew you knew that Brendan Ingle was the one who, along with yourself got you to where you got to and you were never Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the One Stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan, New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts, One Star Recruits. Gonna leave him. Never gonna leave him. And that's, uh, again, you'll see the big, massive fights, and it gets the public's, atten- public's attention. And you'd see when Mike Tyson's fighting uh, 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 Lennox Lewis, and they've got security guards down the middle of the ring to separate these two because. It, you know, that's hype around it. Now, that feeling between those two, this is for real. So, so you think, how can a man keep his nerve? How can Anthony Joshua keep his nerve when he walks into Wembley Stadium and there's 90,000 people there? How can he do that? Because he's not embroiled himself in the hype that we've all read, we've all seen in the adverts in the newspaper. What he's done is he's, he's, he's focused on, on his job in hand. My job, uh, uh, because I started at the bottom up, not the up, not on the up to, to fall down, I've seen all aspects of our sport. I've seen the good and the bad in our sport. I've seen unbelievable wealth and I've seen unbelievable poverty. Uh, and yeah, and I, I'd, I'd walked in the same shoes. I'd, I'd stayed in, in a chateau with Fabrice Teoso when we're training for a fight. And I'm thinking, oh my God, helicopters taking next one. And then I've stayed in a dirty little bedsit on, on the border of, uh, 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 of, of, of Poland. And, and trudge there in the rain back and forth after training so I've seen both sides of it and so it's given me an option of what, I, of what I'd want what I'm capable of having how life should be or shouldn't be so I've seen these things so I've seen I know they're real so I know the importance of having somebody just to translate and not, get, not make you get carried away with the good and the bad with the rich and the poor keeping your feet on the ground and, and that's what I'm saying when I talk about people like Naz and when I talk about people like Mike Tyson uh, when I talk about, about about journeyman, I've seen it all. I've seen that that side of it. So mentally, if you are mentally on point, you'll always get through. But it's, some people find it quicker than others. I didn't find my feet until I was like in my thirties. Naz found his feet when he was a teen uh, uh, because of his experiences. What moulded him at that point through his career. You speak to Spencer Oliver down the line, he'll tell you about amazing times they had travelling the world and amateurs here and Naz representing the country. You know, and, 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 and Naz had only experienced success 
uh, and good times. And, and again, it, this doesn't just apply to sport. It applies to family life. It applies to a job. It applies to any, any sport you get involved with. If you are mentally on point and you go by fact go by what works don't be hard on yourself don't be easy on yourself be factual look i can do this i'm capable of doing this just because nobody has done this not doesn't mean it's not achievable if you think like that you can achieve anything when i go and do talks at colleges schools uh, uh prisons um uh i i keep it real i don't need a, a script because I, t- I talk from experiences this is how smart Brendan was. This is how clever he could get in your head. And I was actually, I was setting a song this morning. I started singing a song to myself because I couldn't remember the song. And I was doing a talk to uh, some, uh, some kids in, in some, sorry, kids, some prisoners at, at Lindholm Prison. So Brendan used to take us to, to, to prisons to do boxing exhibitions. The prisoners in the prison, they had, obviously, if you're in prison, you've got really nothing to do apart from training in the gym, read a book or whatever. So they said, we're raising money for, for, for charity. Said to prisoners, out of your wage every week, give us a pound and uh, a selected number of prisoners can spar with Brendan Ingle's boys, fighters. And so on all the other prisoners that came to watch it, they'd pay a pound to go in the gym, the hall. Uh, they set a ring up. Uh, it was a big deal, and because um, we uh, we just go in and do exhibitions, so we got there. And when we got in the ring, these big units to look looked apart. Some were on the last two years of their sentence, where they'd done live stretches. So I think Lindholm's now a cast, cat, cat, cat C or cat, cat C, cat C or cat B prison. So uh, I got a guy from Manchester. He done. He was done for murder. He was on the back end of his his sentence. Now in that team of fighters that Brendan had taken into the into the. Uh, into the prison to spar with the prisoners. There was myself, there was Naz, there was Harold Graham, there was Herbie Hyde, who'd been WBO heavyweight champion. Um, and so, cause, so, cause, so they're all at the gym, uh, uh, Ryan Rose, all of us. And Brendan had us up around the back when we got changed. And Brendan said to us, whatever you do, do not hit them back. If you get hit, it's your own fault. Your job is to get out of the way. The best people to fight are the people that don't know how to fight. So this is about defensive skills. He's making us learn. He's making us use discipline. He's making us use, have confidence in our skill to think, I can fight these people without even, if you can control a man without actually hitting him, that's maximum control. So he wants you to get in the ring, slip, slip, get out of the way, not get hit. And you've got these big units that look like Adonis's in front of you and you're, com- you're able to control them. This is the mindset of Brendan. And so we all knew the score because we'd already done this before in working men's clubs up and down the country, in prisons up and down the country. Herbie Hyde was fresh to the gym. So Herbie Hyde, he'd come and go. He, he was doing his own thing in, in Norwich. Got in the ring. I did my session. Naz did his session. Flipped over the ropes. He slipped, slipped. These prisoners are trying the hardest. They're thinking, God, it's magic. You can't touch these guys. Because they've, tra- they've trained for six months in the gym, pumping iron and, and boxing. But they don't know how to fight properly. Herbie Hyde got in the ring. And Herbie Hyde got hit by one of the prisoners. Herbie Hyde snapped straight away. Bam! Hit this prisoner back. When he hit this prisoner back, all the prisoners jumped up. And I'm talking hundreds in the prison, jumped up, kicking, oh! so the screws had to come in, try and calm him down. Brendan's shouting at Herbie, what the fuck are you doing? Do not touch him. Calm down, boy. He's got the microphone. Calm down, boys. Calm down. All the prisoners are there. He said, hold up, hold up, hold up. Calm down, boys. He's kicking off. Then he started singing. Have you heard about a big, strong man? Like People like, what's he talking about? Who lived in, oh, what was it? In a caravan. Have you heard about the Jeffrey Johnson fight? When the big black man licked the white. They're like, what 
the fuck's he saying? <laughs> so and Brett, so the prisoners are like like mice. They just like looking up at Brendan, and he sat down and he's singing this song, and I'm thinking, you are a genius. Do you know you are Johnny, a genius. I, I, I need to ask you this. I remember, I think it was, I can't remember, was it Darren Sutherland or Daniel Teasdale that told me that the first day he walked in the gym, Brendan got him up in the ring in front of everyone, or one of the first days, and made him sing a song. Yep. To get him, you know, because he was a shy kid, and he was trying to break those barriers, get that confidence, get that That's uh, That's fear, what he did. He did, he did turn Clinton Woods came in our gym. Clinton Woods, former light heavyweight world champion. Lennox Lewis came in our gym when he was bopping back and forth. He turned time pro with uh, uh, Frank Warren. And, and so, because they all come to test the water, say, I wonder if I want to train here. Clinton, so Brendan straight away said to Clinton Woods, can you read? Clinton said, yeah. Can you write? Yeah. Can you record up? Yeah. Send me a song. Clinton Woods said, fuck that. You're taking piss. And walked out of the gym. Uh, Lennox Lewis came in. Lennox Lewis looking at Brendan like he's a madman. I walked, when I walked in the gym, I can remember my first day. Brendan said, what's your name? I'm just about to tell him. He said, face the wall. Tell me about yourself for two minutes. And I'm like, he puts you in an uncomfortable situation where you've got to think conscious of yourself and who you are. He gets you in the ring singing. When, when people, but he'd do it now and again, like when we're all there and dignitaries come in, counsellors come in, presidents come in, he'd have us get in the ring and, and sing a nursery rhyme and shadow box at the same time. All the time he's building your confidence and self-belief up. Our gym was multicultural. If, if you went in there and you weren't used to coming to our gym, every non-PC reference of uh, who was in there, black, Irish, gypsies, white, uh, Pakistanis, he wanted to break down all those barriers and he wanted you to use industrial language in that gym because he said, when you go and fight in someone's backyard and, and they want their man to beat you, they are going to do everything to put you off it. They're going to call you every name under the sun. So what they'll do is they'll abuse you, they'll shout at you, they'll call you every name. He said, sticks and stones, you've got to be strong enough to ignore that. I looked at when England played, um, who was it when they were talking about? Bulgaria. Bulgaria. And the, their argument is uh, the players should have walked off. No, the players shouldn't have walked off. The players did exactly what they should have done. Their success says it all. So you stay there and get the job done. Because if I was, but I get it. You're in, Bul- you're in Bulgaria, racist or not. If I want to put that other team off, I'll do everything possible to put them off. So if they go too far using racist chants and racist terms to get to you, that's what they're going to do to get the upper hand, to get the advantage, to, to break your, your concentration. But what you do is you stick it out, you get there, you succeed. This is the job for the FA to deal with it. Not the players, not the sportsmen on the pitch, because it's not just in football that happens. It happens in all sports. Life. So what, what, the whole point is you've got to be mentally strong enough to deal with somebody to ignore someone's ignorance. Don't take it personal if they don't know you personal. And that's how you've got to think. And if you keep doing that, that's, how, that's your way of putting two fingers up to the bigots, to the ignorant, to the people, to the people that have got some kind of gameplay to get in your head. Brendan was a genius, and that's why I'm telling you, mental strength, you're not born with it. Some people go through experiences, and they draw off it. Some people have a mentor that, is, that grooms you. I believe that was groomed by Brendan in a positive way. Brent, and that's always said to Brendan, you're brainwashing us. And he said, yes, I am. I'm giving you. I'm positively brainwashing you, and what? End of. Well, I think that's absolutely the perfect place to leave it because Johnny needs to get off to BXR. I, I tell you what's been really interesting about this for me, and hopefully for for other people listening, is is the extent to which another person 
can be responsible for for your own self-confidence because I think people look at athletes in particular individual athletes uh, even more so and think that this is something as I said right at the start that you're either born with and it's natural and you have it or you don't and if you don't then you have to find it by yourself and it's all about long hard runs in the morning where you're wrapped up in your own thoughts and you have to make it on your own because we do live at the moment in the kind of the cult of the individual where everybody likes to claim they've done everything by themselves and it's just really good to hear that that isn't true that, that if you've got the right people around you that is what can really make you can i just make a point it that's for the majority of people I remember Matthew Macklin coming in, uh, uh, watching his career from where we were, and he was moving from trainer to trainer, and and he's a rolling stone, and he so his confidence came from whatever experience he was going on in his personal life because he he didn't stay with one trainer, he jumped from one to the other to the other to the other, but still managed to get to himself to the top. So he had to learn from his own experiences, from his own situations, without one particular individual getting him to the top. So the majority of us need that guidance we need another person the odd individual like Matthew can get there on the way but you don't know the dark side of his life that's got him there I've got some idea <laughs> <laughs> no but you make a good point you make a good point yeah. there no, and no, as you say it's different for it. everyone it's absolutely spot on it's um, and, and I, 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 I've, I've said this I think I've said this to you I've said it to you certainly and um you know, I, I thought I was going to turn pro with Rob McCracken, and it just never. But I, I didn't want to go with Hennessy, and it, anyway, it didn't happen. And next thing I know, six weeks later, I was boxing. And really and truly, I think my whole career, I was searching for a mentor. It wasn't about doing six rounds on the pads. I was searching for that mentor, um, and, 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 and I thought I found it for a while with Billy Graham, but not 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 really. You know, but I did for a bit. But I think really my whole career—that's what I was searching for. But I, I never really found it, but I, I, so I always have to draw on my own personal experiences, my own sort of setbacks and failures to see how I'd kind of risen again and come back and still got there. So I'd, I'd go back on my own uh, disappointments, my own failures, setbacks, and see how, yeah, that how I felt then, but I come back from that and I, I still got there in the end. And, and that, I draw inspiration from that. And, and even other fighters that had kind of had setbacks or had... Uh, periods in their career where people thought they weren't going to make it and they're writing them off but yet they did in the end because they stuck with it and I'd read those things and, 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 and I'd kind of draw inspiration from other people in that sense as opposed to you know one, one mentor well it's been a very interesting chat this very interesting indeed uh, and I think it's uh, we, could do, we could do a part two of this can't we, we? we could definitely do a part two of this because there, there are just so many things there are so many aspects aspects to it but, but as I said the thing I find uh, most interesting or most encouraging about it if you like is is that people add to people and if you can find the right person then it's a nobody ever really does anything completely by themselves uh, it's a bit of a fallacy I think that, that, that people put out there sometimes and uh, and I don't think it's particularly helpful so thanks very much for your, for your company you two Macklin you are forgiven uh, for being late I, I was going to say that we would fine you 20% of your Macklin's take fee but that's zero so that won't really work. 20% of nothing 20% of nothing so that wouldn't really work uh, so anyway thanks, thanks for listening everybody once again uh, we will be back soon get someone sneaking Round a corner Could that someone Be Mac the Knife There's a tugboat Down by the river Don't you know Where 
Sports Social Podcast Network.